A reading from the book of Joel. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness there is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people. Their like has never been before, nor will be again after them through the years of all generations. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God? Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants, let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? The word of the Lord. A reading from 2 Corinthians. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. The word of the Lord. Please stand. 
This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. Jesus said, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Ash Wednesday to you, and as a community, we are entering the season of Lent. Lent is a unique time of year. I encourage you, even now, take a moment, look around this sanctuary, how it has been prepared for this season. Lent gives us a unique space for grief and contemplation that runs counter to the prevailing narrative in our culture. We often don't have space to grieve or think about the state of our hearts. And this season has a lot to say about the state of our hearts. As we contemplate our hearts tonight, I want to begin with a quote from St. Augustine who said, in his famous prayer in the Confessions. You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Let's pray. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires are known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. 
One of the things I have come to know as I approach my 49th birthday later this year is that I have a heart condition. I first found out about this about 12 years ago. Through some very sad life circumstances, I came to know that I have a genetic mutation that causes a thickening in one of the walls in my heart. It's called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. And you might guess, this has caused change in my life. It has made me more aware of my physical heart. I've had to be on medication that has helped regulate the issue. And those meds have in turn affected my metabolism and have made it easier for me to gain weight. It wasn't enough, of course, that my metabolism slowed down anyway as I got older. But I know you're not here to hear my medical history. Why am I talking about this? Because our hearts are a big deal and they shape our lives. It's a downer that I always have to think about the state of my physical heart. But at the same time, if we know something is wrong with our heart, we want to pay attention. I'm glad I know about the state of my heart, my heart condition, because I can work with that knowledge and hopefully give myself a lot of healthy years. And just as the heart is very much the center of our physical bodies, the Bible depicts the heart as the center of our spiritual life. Perhaps it's not a coincidence that I want to focus on the heart on this first day of Lent, which also happens to be Valentine's Day. Because all of us, in a different sense, have a heart condition. Our hearts are central to our being and our life in a spiritual sense. The fact that our physical hearts pump blood through our body gives us an idea as to why the Bible speaks so highly and so importantly of our hearts. The Hebrew understanding of the heart includes the physical, to be sure. But it also incorporates the thoughts, emotions, and the desires of our being. There's a wonderful Bible Project video on YouTube. I don't know if you all have watched Bible Project videos. And you can look it up. It sums up the idea very well as to what the heart in the Hebrew Bible covers. The heart is the center of all human existence. And we can see in the beautiful Hebrew tradition the reality that our hearts need to be reckoned with. This reality necessitates two things that I want to focus on this evening. First, that we need to be paying attention to our hearts. Second, we can mourn and we need to mourn the state of our hearts. First, pay attention to your heart. I already mentioned that one facet of the Hebrew tradition is that the heart is the center of our desires. So we want to pay attention to what they desire and how they align with God's desires, his holy will. Our cultural dialogue is full of cute, pithy quips about the heart. One of my favorite uh, musical artists is Bruce Springsteen. He has a song called Hungry Heart. And the chorus says, everybody's got a hungry heart. Lay down your money and you'll play your part. Everybody's got a hungry heart. And he goes on to depict people who follow their hearts to some not so good ends. One of my favorite movies, Good Will Hunting, 
The, departed, the departing advice that Robin Williams' character gives Will, played by Matt Damon, is just do what's in your heart, son. You'll be fine. The overall narrative we receive is that if we just follow our hearts, everything is going to be okay. Disney makes billions on that idea. But as students of the Word of God, what we believe about the state of our hearts is more complicated. On the one hand, there's a certain truth to our cultural belief. God gives us desires, and the Hebrew part of the body where desires are found is in the heart. So, for instance, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, Hannah's husband, Elkanah, asks Hannah, Why is your heart so sad? And she's sad because she wants a baby. Not a bad desire at all, a wonderful desire. So we see that the desires of our hearts can and do reflect, at times, good things, good desires that God gives us. But we can look through the scriptures, and we, are, we can also see many pictures of how we should not follow our hearts, and why we should not follow our hearts. A few important passages. Deuteronomy 10, 12, 13, and 16. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Ezekiel 36, 24 through 27 I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Psalm 51.10, which we will very soon recite together, has David pleading, created me clean heart. These passages, among others, lead us to a conclusion so eloquently found in Proverbs 4.23, that we should keep our hearts with all vigilance, for from, from them flow the springs of life. The Proverbs remind us that we need to guard our hearts, not merely follow them. And these passages show something about our heart that needs correction. Proverbs is reacting to that. And then when we turn to the prophet Jeremiah, he gives us an even more stark warning. Jeremiah 17.9 says... The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jeremiah here shows that there is an unknowableness at times to our hearts. They can deceive us and we can't always trust them. And that's why the passages from Deuteronomy, Ezekiel, and Psalms speak of new hearts, circumcised hearts, clean hearts. God is telling us in his word that we need to pay close attention to the desires of our hearts. 
We need to order and guard our loves in such a way that we, they begin to reflect what God loves. Jesus even tells us a version of this in our gospel reading. He knows we are tempted to practice our righteousness before others. He tells us to beware and to practice fasting and giving in secret to the point that our hands shouldn't even be aware of what the other is doing. Why all these warnings? Because Jesus knows our hearts. We are tempted to practice our righteousness before others. Part of reordering and guarding our hearts is practicing these things for God alone. Just as our physical hearts, when sick, need care, so our spiritual hearts need care. And while many of the desires of our hearts are God-given, our hearts can deceive us. Them. But the message of Lent goes beyond the guarding of our hearts. All of this heart talk leaves us with a picture we have from the prophet Joel today and, and our second reflection. We should mourn over the state of our hearts. The rending of the garments was reserved for times of deep mourning or indignation, and we see this many times in Scripture. Job famously tears his clothes in grief when he finds out about the death of his children in Job chapter 1. When a messenger comes to the priest Eli in the book of 1 Samuel to tell him that the Ark of the Covenant has been captured and his two sons have been killed, the messenger's clothes are already torn when he gets to Eli. David rent his garments when he heard that his son Absalom had slain his brothers. So the call to rend our hearts that Joel invokes is a word picture chock full of meaning. Verse 12, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. We rend our hearts, because they are desperately sick, and we rend our hearts due to the frustration and grief we have with them. They are in need of replacing and care from Almighty God. The prophet Joel walks a careful line here. He, he quotes God saying, pleading, return to me, fast, weep, mourn. Serious needs indeed. God's holiness demands that we weep, mourn, and rend our hearts, the deepest desires and parts of our being. But then this entire passage is cloaked in this wonderful Sinai imagery, the Mount Sinai imagery. The first couple of verses evoke the darkness that we, and the, thing, the clouds that denote the holiness of God. And then in verses 6 and 7 of Exodus chapter 34, Joel invokes these verses. The Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Joel knows 
that our hearts, when rent in grief, are the beginning of the return to our gracious God. The more years I live through the Anglican church calendar, the more I appreciate its breadth and what each season brings. For much of my life, I had arguments with myself about, okay, should I live in grief over my sin? Should I live in the power of the resurrection and victory? Which is it? And the reality of our lives under the sun is that both of these things are still true. Yes, Christ's death and resurrection has defeated sin and death. We will continue to observe that every Sunday. And in a month and a half, this place is going to be very different. It's going to be great. But we still very much live in the reality of our mortality. Lent is a gift because it gives us the space to mourn the state of our hearts. To plead to our Savior to quicken the healing and renewing of our hearts. As you come forward in a few moments to receive ashes on your forehead. This is an ancient tradition of repentance. This is a very unique opportunity in the year. Contemplate your need for God to revive you. Think about how your heart needs mending. Mourn over the state of your heart. Long for your heart to be made clean and new. These are every bit as much of part of following Jesus as living in the victory of his resurrection. The difference is the confidence in knowing that even though we mourn, we are comforted in our mourning. As I was contemplating this message, I remembered a passage that balances the complicated truth of our broken, sick hearts so well. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, at the beginning of what we know as the Sermon on the Mount, says in Matthew 5, 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Our Savior, Jesus, the living word, walks the line perfectly. It's a good thing to mourn, for you will be comforted. Grief and mourning are words we reserve for death. When a loved one dies, it's appropriate to grieve. And our culture doesn't really know what to do with grief. So oftentimes we just put it aside. Our Savior understood grief so well that he mourned the death of his dear friend Lazarus, even though he knew in mere moments he would see him alive again. The weight of the reality had its proper effect on him, the man who walked in perfect holiness and righteousness. If you understand here today that your heart is in need of mending Blessed are you. If, as the prophet Joel says, you recognize that you are sick and want to tear your hearts out of desperation and grief, you're on the right track. As St. Paul says in our reading from 2 Corinthians, today is the day of salvation. In these weeks ahead, I encourage you, give attention to the grieving, to grieving over your heart. 
you will be comforted by the God of all comfort. For while Jeremiah asks the question, who can know our heart? We can be grateful that God, the great physician, does. Blessed are you who mourn, for you will be comforted. Let's pray. Give me, O Lord, a steadfast heart, which no unworthy thought can drag down, an unconquered heart, which no tribulation can wear out, an an upright heart, which no unworthy purpose can tempt aside. Bestow upon me understanding to know you, diligence to seek you, wisdom to find you, and faithfulness that finally may embrace you. In the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, amen.